then they just fly in the air like it's like a bird. It's, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's just like really relief. I was struggling to go to England, hiding under the train. And then two years later, I can fly. That's my foster brother, Mez, talking about the first time that he got on a plane. Today's is a very important episode, as this week marks four years since he made it to the UK. If you haven't heard that story yet, listen to the previous episode, where he shares how and why he crossed from Eritrea to England. This week we talk about life now he's here, because although one journey might have ended the day that he arrived, another one of integration and big learnings began. We recorded this episode on holiday down on the Kent coast, so you might hear the seagulls and steam train in the background. We also refer to Bijo, my newest foster brother from Sudan, who will have been with my family for a year in September. We started our conversation by talking about a holiday tradition where we take it in turns to cook for each other in our family Come Dine With Me. We've been doing it for four years now, and every year we do different dishes with different people. And, and this year I got with Dad, and we've done some Eritrean food which was the best, and we won. You did win. We found out the results yesterday. We've had four nights of Come Dine With Me. We picked names out of a hat, don't we? Four teams of two, because there's yeah. eight of us all together. Mez was with Dad, and they did Eritrean theme, and it was the best meal I've had in ages. It was so good. No, we didn't have much injera, but oh well. Injera is the um, traditional bread thing that we eat with uh, Eritrean food. It's like a spongy bread, like a pancake yeah. almost. Yeah. And I don't know how you guys made it in like a yeah, different kitchen. Yeah, we didn't kitchen. have the right ingred- ingredient. I can't say the word. Ingredients. Ingredients, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't even enough because we just ate so much. Yeah, you lot ate the whole food. Like, <laughs> there's nothing left. Were you impressed? Yeah, I thought I made loads and then it just, everything was gone. Was you like, wanted to oh, have some great. leftover for lunch today, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> well, we'll just have to make something else. We'll have a barbecue because it's nice weather. Yeah. Lovely weather. I've really enjoyed this holiday, seeing how you have said a few things to Bijo that are really sweet. Like, oh, Bijo, I remember when we first did Come Dine With Me, I was really confused as well. And mm. now I get it. And I think that, you know, Bijo really enjoyed his night. But yeah, it's probably a bit like, what is going on? Why are we having this big competitive thing? Yeah, you lot are very competitive as well. Yeah, we take it seriously, like, don't so we? So seriously. Three like, courses, entertainment, yeah. themes. Oh, yeah. And Bijel maybe didn't know how competitive you lot was. Yeah, and you've definitely got the gist of it because you didn't even get stressed and you won. So. Yeah, uh, me and dad were so calm. We did not get stressed. We started very early, do our thing. Do you think that you'll send anyone in Eritrea some pictures of the Eritrean feast that you cooked last night? Like your mum, do you think she'd like to see that? She probably would, but I don't know how to send her. She don't get any internet or any phone. Oh, um, you can't send her I pictures. Can't send her pictures. She must be so curious to see what you look like now and yeah. what you're wearing and what you're doing and where you are and where you live. Yeah, it's not like as easy. Like you live in London, for example, and mum lives in Kent. You can just talk to her every day or mm. send her a picture uh, with whatever you're doing. But for me, yeah, that's no, no. Like they don't even have, they have the Wi-Fi. I, can, I can't just like pick up the phone and call my mum, for example. You've spoken to her this week since we've been here, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, and that costs about £20 to just talk to her. That's worth it. That's twenty pounds yeah. well spent. Yeah, uh, yeah. For me, it is, but for for you to spend twenty pounds, we'll be like, oh, what? We're not used to it. That's very true. Mm. When I'm traveling, I just send mum like pictures of my dinner from wherever I am. Yeah. So yeah, it's completely different. 
You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast, stories from the refugee crisis. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. Now let's get back to our holiday where Mers has been doing lots of chilling. Whereas B. Joe, it's his first holiday and I think it's mm. a bit new for him, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, he got so much energy. Like he just want to do stuff all the time. He does, doesn't he? He's mm. not very good at chilling yet. <laughs> and now I'm just a pro of chilling. I can chill all day. You are the pro of chilling. You've literally spent the whole week horizontal pretty much, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> You know what? That's a really interesting thing that I'd love to talk about because mum always says that you really had to learn how to chill as well when you first got here. Do you think that's true? Yeah. When I was growing up, I never had any time to chill. I was always doing something like literally you woke up, have breakfast, you go to school, come back from school, go to work, go back home. Like you just had no time to chill at all. Did your mum not let you chill? Chill is no nothing in our country. Like you don't you don't even know what chill is. But when I arrived here, it was completely different. Even though I want to do something, it's nothing to do. I can do what mum told me, for example, mow the grass. I can do that in half an hour. I can just like be in my bed, watch TV all day. Because when you first arrived, you always wanted to do stuff. I remember mum saying, like, you don't have to do that because you were outside, like, in the driveway washing the cars and mum and dad, they were like, it's fine, Mez, we'll just go to a car wash. And then mum was expecting someone to come and cut the hedge. Do you mm, remember? Yeah. Which is a huge hedge in our garden. It's like double the height of a human. She was like, yeah, yeah, there's someone co- coming to do it with a machine tomorrow. And Mez was like... Mum, like, don't pay someone to do it. I'll do it for you. And you got out those, like, little shears and started cutting yeah. the hedge and made, like, a human-sized <laughs> hole in it. And then you were like, okay, yeah, maybe you do need a machine for this. <laughs> I remember that so well, looking out the oh, window yeah. and just seeing you with these, like, little shears cutting yeah. this giant hedge. I had so much energy like, at that time. I was just like, I, I need to do something. Get up, like, about 8 o'clock in the morning for nothing and just cut the hedge or mow the grass or wash the cars or go for play football all day in the park. Even though I don't have anyone in the park to play with, I just play with myself and just all day spend there, like, running around. But I don't see myself doing that again. <laughs> Honestly, I no, haven't seen you wake up this week before. Like, it, well, this this morning you woke up before 10 a.m. and everyone was shocked. Yeah, everyone was <laughs> like, oh, are you ill or something? <laughs> are you okay? What's happened? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it does change. Uh, I think Bijo will change as well. For the last few years, we haven't been able to go anywhere outside of the UK mm. because you haven't had papers or Bija hasn't had papers or 
Yeah, that's that's I always struggled. Now I have my papers. Last year we went to Holland. Yeah, mum took you to Holland, didn't she? Yeah. The first time you went on a plane. Let's talk about that because until you had your asylum and your documents, which took a couple of years actually, didn't it, from you arriving? Took a while to get my uh, passport and that. So. Yeah, mum always said to you, when you get your passport i'll take you to holland yeah i'll take you to your second family exactly to to meet her parents and Mm. her brothers and sisters and do you remember that first time that you went on a flight yeah then i can't explain the feeling that i had i was really excited were you nervous yeah i was really nervous like is it the same as car or the same like a boat well it's not just like you go in and then you go like full speed and you like your belly is just like oh it's like oh i'm about to vomit and it's but I didn't vomit, which is a good thing. And then you just fly in the air like it's like a bird. It's, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's just like really, like, relief. I was struggling to go to England, hiding under the train. And then two years later, I can fly. Do you know what I mean? That's just completely different. I thought they were going to be like really harsh and like check my papers and things like make it really hard for me. But it was just like show them my purpose and they're like, okay, you can, you can pass, you can go. Why does it have to be like that? Why can't it just be like everyone just go to what, which country they want? Why do they make it so hard to go in first and then, okay, you stay in our country for two years. Now you can go to whatever country you want. It showed you the difference. For some people, they don't have those opportunities. And then once you've got the right papers and tick the right boxes and have the right documents, you can go wherever you want so easily. Yeah. Like for you guys, it's so, so easy. You can just like show your passport and that's it. You're gone. But for us, you have to risk your life, literally risk your life to just go into the country that you want to be safe. So that first moment when you went up into the air on the aeroplane, you weren't only thinking about how amazing it was to be in this metal box that was flying. You were also thinking about how amazing it was to have the freedom to be able to do so. Exactly. I was like, oh my God, now I have all this freedom. I can do whatever I want. I can just fly to whatever country I want. But my brothers and sisters in Calais literally can't do that at all. They're still risking their life to go in there. But for me now, it's just like so easy. And I was, I was wishing like, oh, I wish I can just bring this airplane, bring all the people down Cali and get them to, to whatever country they want. Yeah. And also things like, you know, your brother in Ethiopia yeah. right now in a camp, isn't it crazy that the only way that he can be with you in England is to make the same journey that you made crossing Libya, crossing the sea. And we heard in the last episode how difficult and scary and dangerous that is. Isn't it mad that there is a way to just fly from Ethiopia exactly. to the UK and no one's life is risked? Well, I mean, there's a tiny chance that your plane might fall down but there's a pretty yeah, tiny like chance one percent of chance like i think less and it takes less than maybe 10 maybe six hours seven hours from ethiopia to get here mm-hmm. maybe less yeah i've flown from london to addis ababa direct no stopover get on the plane you're in london you get off the plane you're in addis ababa Boom. how easy was that and it took me a year to get here and risking my life mm. and spending sh- like shit lot of money It's funny though, Mez, that you say that it was actually easy for you because mum tells a different story. She says that, you know, that first trip that she went to Holland with you, she was shocked by how much they did check your papers and how 
different she did feel because she's so used to going through an airport without any worries that actually she suddenly noticed. And when you were coming back into England, especially, they were quite harsh, weren't they? And they did put you in a separate area in this little waiting pen. Suddenly she noticed a security guard or a border force guy and she was like, are you waiting with us? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here waiting with you. And they kind of had someone watching you while you were kind of questioned, right? Yeah, for me, that was the, it wasn't, it was nothing. I wasn't nervous about it. I was, I was so chilled. I was like, okay, what's the worst thing I can do? Not let you back in? Yeah. Well, I got all my papers and everything right. So I was, I, I don't know. I was not scared for them to do that. But my mom, mom was furious. Like, why didn't you to do that? Like, yeah. Uh, why do they need to take, do this yeah. extra check, take yeah. us a separate, have a guard with us? Yeah. And also she was annoyed because they told her, oh, you can go through, you're fine, but yeah. he has to stay here. Yeah. And she was so angry. Like they let me in fine. And then they check all your papers. And even though I told them you're my son, they did not believe me. They did, they just keep checking all the papers and make us wait for almost half an hour in the little cage. Mm. She was so angry, but I did not understand it. I was like, okay. Yeah, you're just like, this is easy. (laughs) Yeah, I I (laughs) got in in the worst way, hiding under the train and uh, under the truck and stuff for them to check the papers. It's like, okay. Do your thing. Yeah, you're like, check away. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then when mom was explaining to me how it's supposed to be, and I was like, oh, okay. Or how it is for us. Yeah. How, how it has always been for us, yeah. you know, in our experience. It's really interesting for us to see how it is for you and for you to see how it is for us. So you can see that actually there isn't equality in the way that we're treated as we're coming into the UK. Definitely not. And then in the second journey when we went to Germany... I was a bit more nervous when we went in the car. Because you drove, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, we would drove. And then, it was like, when we get in the car, that's how I came to England. So we went in the car when I gave them my purpose and they were checking it. And I was like, I was more nervous that time than I was nervous going to Holland. Got you. So actually like, passing through Calais and yeah. going from Calais to Folkestone, yeah. because you'd done that journey so many times, illegally or tried anyway, doing it legally felt... Mm. more nerve-wracking yeah i was so nervous like when they gave them my passport i was thinking they can just rip it apart i want to go back to the end of last episode you'd just arrived in england and it was the summer of 2015 you'd had that first couple of nights where you hadn't slept very well because you'd jumped out of bed in the morning and you didn't speak any English and you didn't really know what was going on. So I just want to cast our minds back to that moment. Mm. And you're, you were, you had newly arrived and everything was new. Yeah. Is there anything that stood out to you as being something that you really had never seen before or had to get used to? I know we talked about things like eating with a knife and fork. That was new to you, wasn't it? And using a toothbrush. What was there in our family life, like general family life that you thought was weird? Um, I find it weird that you have like your own room. When I grow up, you have to share a bed with your brothers or sisters. Like when I came to England, I have my own bedroom, my own wardrobe, my own everything. That's not the thing that I used to or I grow up with. Did it feel lonely? At first, yeah, because the whole journey that I made, it was sleeping with 100 people at least in one room. Did you know that when you foster a child, it's social services rule that they have to have their own room? Did you know that? 
Yeah, now I know, but by then I didn't know. There were lots of unexpected things for Mers when he first arrived. Not except to be with English family. Oh, or... really? You thought they'd be sending you to an Eritrean yeah, family? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, when they say, do you want to be a foster family or uh, live with a sharing house? I was like, I want to be with family. So I thought they're going to send me to some Eritrean people that have lived in England for a long time. Okay, interesting. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, and then when I arrived to England, it was, you all were just like English. And um, I couldn't speak any English. I couldn't explain why I was here. So it was really weird and hard to settle down. But then I did. We started talking about the internet. You actually had never used Instagram or Snapchat or really the internet much before arriving to the UK. You didn't have a phone or anything, right? I, I used to have Nokia. That's it. So I can call my parents. I did. I did know the internet was existed, but like I did not use it until I came to England. But when I came, I came to England, it's literally like on your phone you can have it, and you can just do so much with it. No, you learned fast, didn't you? Well, yeah. You're always on Snapchat now. <laughs> yeah, it must have opened up a world of opportunity for you. It must have been mad when you first started understanding that you could just google anything literally yeah apart from yeah. not anymore since your phone fell in the sea yesterday oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah i was just stupid enough no, i should have left it here at least you can use snapchat on mum's phone hey? yeah i downloaded it yesterday <laughs> you downloaded snapchat onto mum's phone well at least she doesn't use it so it's not like you're fighting to log in Mess, tell me about when you started school in England. How was that? Oh, school. I was really, really nervous. I didn't have anyone that I know that was going to that school. Mm. I didn't grow up here. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anyone. So when I arrived to that school, I was just like, like what, what, what do I do? Now, I wish that I spoke English when I started school so I can tell why I was here. But I can only say like, oh, hi, how are you? How are you doing? Blah, blah. The teacher asked everyone, do you want to show me all the classes in the school and where it was? And I remember a guy called Charlie and he's like, oh, I want to, I want to show him. I want to show him. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. And he wanted to be friends with me, but I couldn't speak English. So we would like, we were hugging out together, but I, I wasn't saying that. I wasn't saying anything. I'd rather stand on my own, eat my lunch. You wanted to be on your own? Yeah. Even though I want to be with people and then I realised that I couldn't, I couldn't, what am I supposed to do with them? Like stand still and it would be so awkward. You couldn't communicate? I couldn't communicate or say anything. So I was like, um, I'd just rather stay on my own um, and remember all the things I used to do in school. <laughs> but it was it was good. Like I had a, a little fun. Um, I used to just like listen to music for half an hour and go back to to class. My first class was a uh, science. That was so quiet in the corner. Class started, uh, and I was just listening. And everyone was like doing their own thing and not listening to the teacher at all. A lot of people on the phone, like doing the makeup in the class and like chatting, like n- nonstop. And I was like, wow, uh, what? Is this school or like it is school, but it's like completely different to how I grow up. But it's different rules. Yeah, it's a different country. So I have to adapt to it. 
just remembered when I, you know, when I started, I really liked playing football, football and music. Like mom said, it was my like calming things. When like in lunchtime after a while, I start to go to the um, AstroTiff. And it's usually like two boys, like, like we used to do in our country as well. It's two older boys that stand up and choose the teams. It used to be me and my neighbor. We play football, it's just me and him standing still and choose the boys. Okay, so you mean in Eritrea it was you and a neighbor that yeah. would be the team captains? Yeah, exactly. But in here, um, I was just standing still and be, want to be chosen. It was my first couple of weeks in there. So I, I'd be chosen like really last well, I don't blame them actually. Like, just choose all the people that they have, they know. And I was like, I was really happy to even be chosen. We realized like they just passed each other. They don't pass you. Like, um, I'm right here. Like, why don't you pass me? But I did, I did not care. I just run for the ball and get the ball for myself. So were there people that were mean to you? Did you have problems ever? It was like a bit rough to start with because I was new and it was like, three or four black people there for me that kept me going was mom said in england i was here a long time ago as well at least it takes a year or so to make a new friend and i always had that in my head okay it takes a long time it's not like in our country make friends straight away and be friendly and be nice to you like but it takes a long time to be actually like to know someone because everyone is like in the house doing the thing. You don't come out like we used to. You don't have like community to do things together. And now I get it. Like that's why they didn't like get me straight away. Yeah. It's a completely different culture. Yeah, Mum's right. Yeah. That even from, she was only coming from Holland to England. Mm. It's not very far. You wouldn't think the culture is that different. But mm. like you say, I think she did notice a difference when she first came mm. here that it took longer for her to make friends. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know she said that to you. So yeah, that, yeah. her and saying that helped. It did help. And I did I did have that in the back of my head and I was saying like, okay, it takes a long time to make friends in here. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I'll be friendly to everyone. But like I said, when the time goes on, like it, mm-hmm. it becomes really nice and warm environment after mm-hmm. a while. And yeah. uh, I had really nice teachers that helped me with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I was really lucky. And let's talk about what people knew about you and Eritrea, because people had no idea, did they? When they asked you where you were from, they what didn't happened? know. They thought I was here in holiday or something. They have no idea where I'm from. They have no idea where I got to England. Did you find that frustrating? No, it's not their fault. But I, I was like, at least you should know the country and what it is. Like you live in Kent. Calais is literally next door. Mm. How can you not know people from there? Do you not have news? And they're like, no, no, we don't even read any newspaper or anything. So we don't know. And I start to explain to them, try to make them understand why I left. And sometimes they're like, oh, so when are you going to see your family? I don't know. And they're like, oh, fucking hell. Like, I, if I don't see my mom, I'll die. I don't even know how to survive. One day we had PE. It was raining, I think. Instead of playing uh, football, we sat down and I told them a bit of my story. And they were like so amazed about it, how I crossed and how I came all the way to here. And without me knowing, the story was spread all the way to school. Like even the teachers know about it. And the teachers start asking me questions. That I was like, how do you even know? So I knew if... You did a talk and everyone would literally know 
within a day. News spreads fast. Yeah, the word spreads fast. It spreads so quickly. Like I talked to them and then in a couple of days, it was like, oh, Mers, how did you do this? Mers, like what happened? And they were so interested on in it. Like I was like, oh, maybe I should tell Jazz to do talk. Then yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. I came to give a talk about Eritrea the situation there, the journey that you'd taken, the journey that lots of refugees were taking um, to try and raise some awareness. And the best thing ever that's happening next month is that you're going back to your school to give four assemblies to the entire school about oh, really where you're good, at now. Yeah. yeah. It's I'm amazing. really excited about it, actually. Really so now excited. it's only four years since you arrived there speaking no English as this kid yeah. that was sitting on his own in the playground. And now you're going back as a teacher. How does that feel? Yeah, I feel great, actually. I'm really happy that we had the opportunity to actually go back there and give talk. Yeah, it'd be weird. It's always weird to go back to your old school. But I, I, st- I, feel, I still feel like really excited to go back there and tell what's going on. Yeah, it's so important. It's yeah, so really important. important. And it's so nice that the school recognises how important yeah, that is. Yeah. I think it's lovely that they contacted us to say, like, we want all of our students mm. to know what is happening. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm, re- I'm actually really excited to do it. Like I can, I can, I can tell my story then really easily. I loved it the first school we went to, and we got a little visitors badge, and we hung out in the staff yeah. room, and you looked so funny and like making yourself a coffee from the machine. Like, yeah. this is great. I could get used to this very easily. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, as I felt the same the first time I went in the staff room. I felt like I shouldn't be in here. Mm. <laughs> but it was way closer to you actually being at school. I think you were still at school when we first did yeah, it. I was, yeah. <laughs> mad i'll never forget you telling those kids one line which was i wanted to hold a pen not a gun and mm. that really shocked them i think that that resonated with a lot of the kids there and you know when we do talks together i really notice it's a big difference i often tell your story in talks in schools and universities or whatever but when they hear it from you especially students when we go to schools and they can relate to you because you're the same age you've just done no dcses mm. you're studying it really changes their world because mm. suddenly they see a different perspective and even if people had been reading the news at that time in 2015 when you first arrived to the uk mm. in kent the news wouldn't have told them the story that you were telling them exactly. you know the news was telling them negative stuff dehumanizing stories about the people in calais yeah. and you were there a kid just like them who'd left their family and any of them would have done the same if they were in that situation. Mm. And I think that the fact that they could relate to you really changed a lot of opinions and will be a really big impact on them for the future. That's that's exactly why I love doing talks, especially to my age, because like you said, the news wouldn't give them as much information that I was, I'm giving them. Mm-hmm. And I actually went through it. The, the news will give them like, oh, these people are coming to steal our job. These people are coming to do this, to do blah, blah, blah. And they believe it. So when I tell them this, it's not how it is. This is how I came to England. This is not. And I'm not coming to England to steal a job for one. Like, it's no way I came all the way from my country, risking all my lives to just have a job in here. You already had a job in Eritrea. Yeah, I already had a job. I already have my own business. Like, if I had the freedom that I needed, I would never leave my country there. I would never, ever even think leaving. And that's what it comes down to. Just simply that, isn't it? It's like, I had all of those things, but what I didn't have was freedom. I had to leave. I had no choice. I literally, I had to. I got forced to leave. It's not my choice. Mm -hmm. If it was my choice, 
I wouldn't even think about it. That's the thing that people still get in the head, like, oh, people are coming to, to do this to our country. So what would you say to those people? One of the questions that someone asked me on Instagram was, what would you say to people who are anti-immigration? So when you met those people at school or in Kent, because, you know, we do live in an area that is pretty right wing and is pretty close to immigration. Generally, mm. people are not that open or that welcoming as a whole. What would you say to them simply? Just try to open your mind. If you open your mind, for example, to me, like your family did, you will know so much about me. And in the end of the day, I'm not coming here to terrorize your country or to steal your job or to... Take your benefits. Yeah, take your benefit. I'm here to live my life in peace. You won't understand my feeling when I say freedom because you have your freedom since you were born. Mm. Like you had your freedom all your life. You have whatever you need. When I say freedom, you don't know what was the feeling of the freedom until it was taken from you. Yeah. So I just want to say, like, when you find that kind of people or people like me, just open your mind a bit and you will understand what's mm. happening. And instead of listening to the sand news or whatever that is, they will all give you a negative story. They will all make you believe uh, they, that we are coming to do all these things that they're telling you, but that's not the real story. Why do you think that the newspapers are doing that? They're just giving the people what they would need to hear. So, You're so right, they're feeding people's fears, aren't they? Exactly. I've really learned in the last few years, and I know that it might sound obvious, but there's two ways that you can live your life. You can live your life in fear, or you can live your life leading with love. And I think that you've really showed me to just constantly be open to new people, feel compassion, feel love towards them, and then you will find an understanding and a common ground. Even if things are new and different and frustrating because people don't understand you, they don't know where you're from, what's happened, you still are open to the fact that they are just from a different place and hmm. you give them time and you're still very understanding of that. I remember you talking with Arash about people being gay and I remember one of you saying to the other one, well, you know, we're in England now. That's the way that it is here. And you kind of had that mentality, didn't you, that mm. we're in England now. England's different from Eritrea and that's okay. Yeah. And when I arrived to England, it was, it was like, um, yeah, I'm still Eritrean. I'm, I'm still the person that I am, but I'm open to whatever is in front of me. I'm open to learn. I'm open to listen to your story. Or like you said, gay was like a new thing to me. I never heard it before. But I was open to hear what it is. People want to be whatever they want to be. And if they're happy with whatever they want to be, they're happy. It's not your business. It's so true. We can't tell each other what's right or what's wrong for yeah. each other, can we? We just no. know that for ourselves. Yeah, that's what, exactly why I left my country, because I don't want to be told what to do and yeah. how to behave and what, where to go, when to leave. Exactly, uh, especially like, when it's not hurting anyone Yeah, else, it's, it's not know? hurting. They make, they make them happy. Good. Mm. Makes them happy. If you're not good with it, you're not good with it. Keep your opinion to yourself. Like, you can talk, to, you can talk about it. It's no big problem. But don't. Like judge people or hurt people. You are so wise. And I do think that that did come a little bit from your country because I remember when Arash came to our family, he's Muslim and you're Christian, a practicing Christian that goes to church and prays before meals. And I thought it was really interesting when I kind of asked you about how you felt 
towards Islam and about Islam in your religion or with your mindset that you said that in Eritrea people are 50% Christian, 50% Muslim and actually it doesn't really matter. People live very happily alongside each other and it's a case of you do you, basically. It's you. I had neighbours that are Muslim in both of my sides and I go to the house, eat their food, eat, drink their drink, like do all Muslim things and then they come to my house, they eat my food, they drink my drink and be all Christian. And we all like grow up in the same field, playing football, playing everything, like all together. And then we just never thought of like, oh, you're Muslim, so I don't play with you. Oh, you're Muslim, oh, you're Christian, so I don't do things with you. That's not, that's not how it is. Labels given to people that makes them hateable or like they get hate because of their whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Those things that divide us. That's really interesting. If you're Muslim, you're Muslim, you're Christian, you're Christian, or whatever you are, whatever you are. We had nine religions in our country and no one fight for anything. People live their life happily and it doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother you. I think it was you as well, Matthew, who told me that your belief is between you and God and nobody else, right? Yeah, like I believe in God and that's just me. So let's talk about going to church. Right. <laughs> It's always a funny story when we talk about it. That when I arrived in Kent, I wanted to go to church. And dad was like, well, it's a, it's a church down the road. I was like, oh, great. Let's just go to there and maybe people from Eritrea come there. <laughs> we went to the church and when we were going in, everyone put the shoes going into the church. And I was like, mm, that's not Eritrean, first of all. And I did not expect it to be Eritrean, but I thought, Everyone that gone in the church, they take the shoes off. And then I went in and it was all chairs. And you have to sit down to listen until the priest is finished. And everything finished really quickly, uh, like in about half an hour or 40 minutes. <laughs> it's so different. Like we didn't have, they didn't have any posters that I grew up with, mm-hmm. like Jesus and Mariam and things like that. And uh, <laughs> we were about to leave. And dad came to pick me up. I wasn't saying much English. And the guy, it was actually a black guy, black priest. Um, he came outside and he was chatting to dad. And he's like, how are you? How are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And uh, he's like, yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, that's my uh, foster son. I came to like show him a church around here. And he was talking to me. He's like, how long are you in a holiday for? <laughs> oh, I'm, not in, I'm not in holiday, mate. But he didn't know that. And my dad, dad was like, no, he's not in holiday. He's my foster son. He lives with me now. And he's like, where do you live? Across the road. And it's like, oh, great. Just tell him, send him to come here every Sunday. And I was like, no. How come? It just didn't feel right. It's so different. So we did some research and found out about an Eritrean church in Camberwell in London. Mum and dad took me the first time there. And then I soon realized, okay, this is... You're like, this feels right. Yeah, this, this is what I know. Take your is, shoes off at the door. <laughs> yeah, take your shoes at the door. All the women wear white dresses and mm-hmm. stuff. You kiss the walls. Yeah, you? you kiss the wall. That's what I was meant to say. Yeah, it just feels completely... You felt at home. Yeah, and uh, mom and dad was like, okay, we're going to leave you for half an hour or so and we come back. Because they thought it was going to finish really quickly. And I was still there for, stayed there for almost four hours. <laughs> and mum and dad was like, oh, we're back. Can we go? And I was like, no, it's not finished yet. 
And the four people, hours later, yeah, yeah, the people told them if the ceremony finished in four hours, and mum and dad went to do something else again. When they had some lunch or something. <laughs> and then they came back after four hours, and、um, they took me home. I thought、Just、it was really funny, Mez. The the first I don't know how many times Dad went up to London with you every week on Sunday to take you to church, and this is when I realised that he was exactly the same with you than he was with all of us four、mm. biological kids, because every week you'd say, "Dad, I know the way now. Next week I'll go on my own. Like、mm. it's fine. Like I've、mm. been there enough with you. Like I can get the train, no problem." And Dad would say, "Like okay, okay, next week, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can go on your own next week." And then as the week went on, he'd say, "Oh, Mez, you know what? There's actually a gallery that I really want to go to in London this Sunday. So I'll just come up with you and then drop you off, and then I'll go to the gallery, and then I'll meet you after." And you'd be like, "Dad, really, I'm fine." And he'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, I know you are. Of course you are. But like, I just want to go up to London anyway." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It took him a while before he, he let was, you go on your own. He was doing that for a long time. He didn't like. He probably realised that I crossed all the way. The Sahara and lost stuff on my own, but、um, still wouldn't let you go to London on your own. <laughs>、yeah. Still didn't let me go. Mum, mum probably told the story, but when I got to church,、uh, I don't use my phone most of the time. And、uh, when I go, and then we just play football all day, and would, my phone would be ringing, buzzing all day because I didn't text mum. Mum was like, "Where are you? Are you okay? Are you there safe?" Blah blah. Mum need two words. I'm okay. That's all she needs to hear from me. Now I just text her like, "Oh yeah, I'm in my way. Yeah, I'm got here safely. Yeah, I'm doing this."、Um, just to keep her updated,、yeah. keep her happy. Yeah, you know、yeah. what to do now. <laughs> I know exactly what to do, so she don't bother me all day. <laughs> How did you do that in Eritrea when you didn't have a phone? Didn't your mum worry? About- no, no. She was more chilled, was yeah, she? Yeah, very chilled. <laughs> well, probably she know where I am, so she won't get worried. Yeah, she could come and find you if she yeah, needed you. Yeah. And London is a big, scary place. Remember when we had that event and、uh, you were trying to get to it, and Dad had give you given you like really clear instructions of how to get the tube, and somehow you went wrong and ended up really far away, and he had to come and find you. Yeah,、um, he gave me like listed the train stations that I need to go through, and I was following them, and for some reason I just. And having Arsenal or something. Arsenal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, what are you doing there? <laughs> so I find it really hard to come back to King's Cross as well. And he's like, okay, come back to King's Cross. So I can come back and get you. And I went to King's Cross, and I was at front. Dad was went to yeah, the yeah. That's、back. the worst meeting place、yeah. ever. Such a big station. Like, how、so、do you find、big. each other? And I was like, I don't know where is front, where's the back. And he's like, stay still. So I'm gonna walk all around to find you. And he walked all around until he found me. So, Mez, I think we should wrap up and go and have some lunch. I think we should do it the Eritrean way and just put it in the middle and all share because that's another thing that I remember you being shocked by that we all kind of had our own plate and ate separate meals and breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We'd eat something different. Yeah, you have your own knife and fork and your own plate, but in our country, you have like one big dish and you just eat all together and in one big circle. We couldn't do that because in our family we'd all be fighting, wouldn't we?、We'd、oh my、like、god, you are greedy as hell. We are so greedy. I、oh、don't understand、god. how we're greedier than, than you, and we've never been hungry. Whereas you've actually been hungry. You know what it's like to not have food,、mm. but you're not greedy at all. I don't get it. No, but... So you didn't have that with your brothers and sisters. No, we we share actually everything. To be honest.
We're probably going swimming in the sea this afternoon because it's our last day on holiday and we're right by the sea. And I remember the first time me and Nils took you swimming to a local swimming pool. It was the funniest thing ever because you couldn't swim at all. And yeah, you're a bit thing, nervous yeah. about the wave machine. And Nils had his hands under your armpits and he was like lifting you into the waves and showing you how to like jump into the waves. You're definitely a bit hesitant at first, but mm. you're right now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Like now, now. The thing I want to say actually is like I had I have learned a lot of stuff that I never imagined that I would learn. For example, I was really scared to swim because of what happened, and uh, I learned to swim, learned to speak English, learned to do a lot of lot of stuff that I, I would not imagine to learn. Yeah, I do a lot of stuff in English way. It's true. You've merged from being completely Eritrean to still being Eritrean, but having an English way of life. Yeah. Has that been a difficult transition? Has you found it hard to hold on to your Eritreanness? Sometimes I find it hard, but I always find a solution and go in the middle. Okay, so um, you think about the Eritrean way and the English way, and which one is better for you, and then yeah. you either choose one or the other or go somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing ever when you can mix cultures and mm. ideas and upbringings and you become even more of a well-rounded person, right? It's really, really good, actually. What do you think could be done to make integration easier in the UK for people that are arriving? Education is really important. For everybody in England to listen to this podcast, then they would be more welcoming and understanding for exactly. people coming in the future, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, we're near Dover and Folkestone right now yeah. on holiday. And a local lady told us that she's had lots of boats arriving to the shore here. Recently, yeah. it's happening again. It's still happening on our doorstep right now. People are still arriving from Calais, yeah. crossing this very dangerous crossing, risking their lives to come here because there's, there's no legal way for them to seek asylum from France to the UK. UK until they reach their feet on UK soil. And what this local lady said was she was shocked by the lack of compassion and understanding of local people around here. And I think that's a lack of education. If they had heard your story, if they had listened to this podcast, if they knew what you'd been through, then they would welcome you as a hero with open arms. Exactly. Like I said, you have to just be open-minded to what's happening on your doorstep and stuff just closing your mind. Be nice and welcoming, like... We're not here to hurt anyone. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes yeah, and really exactly. be it. Because anybody who was in your position, if they were brave enough, would do exactly as you would Exactly. Done. If it was yeah. you and your family yeah. and your child or your son or your brother or... Well, you are my brother now, so I can imagine that very well. Mm. And I'm so grateful that you are because it's you being here for these last four years that has changed my life completely from working in fashion to doing what I'm doing now. Mm. It's been lovely to reflect on that with you today and think about these last four years. Think about how far you've come, how much you've changed, how you've grown from a child into an adult. We've yeah. learned a lot from each yeah. other, haven't we? Yeah. Mez and I now often give talks in schools, universities, workplaces and at events. If you can think of anywhere or anyone who might benefit from hearing his story firsthand, let me know through our Instagram account, at The Worldwide Tribe. I hope this episode has inspired you to perhaps go and knock on the door of someone you know is new locally to you. It truly makes a difference. I love hearing your thoughts on these episodes, so please subscribe, leave a review and get in contact via our social media pages. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. Big thanks to Alexander Wells for composing our original music and mixing this episode. Mm -hmm.